Good morning. Boy, you guys say it like you mean it. First service was like, I'm only here because of my mom. No, I'm so glad that you made it. Grab your Bibles if you would. Matthew chapter five. We're moving from Matthew five to Romans 12. And I believe that God has something special in store for you as we dig into the authority of his word. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Moms, we wanna celebrate you big today. I really hope you enjoyed that special song. That was amazing. I had to, I had to make myself not watch it. I'm like, I'm not gonna cry. I will not do it. I will not do it because I'll try to get up here and then read scripture and be like, oh, Jesus said. <laughs> Just read it for yourself. I can't do it. But... <laughs> But we are, we are so grateful for each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for those of you who are supporting us financially. That means a lot. Let's take a moment and welcome in all of our online friends, people watching from all over the world. Hi, Ridge family. Come on, let's welcome them in. Mom, if you're watching, I want to apologize in advance for anything that I say or, or do. Uh, Proverbs 23 says, let her who bore you rejoice. And I hope that I make you proud. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I'm telling some stories today. We're going to get real. It's time. These things need to come out. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. We're going to finish up our series called Let's Get Real today. So turn to the person next to you and say, let's get real. Now turn to your second choice and say, you too. Even you. We're, de <laughs> We're dealing with all the things that Jesus gives to his disciples, the things that Jesus says that are not hard to understand, but are sometimes very hard to what? Hard to do. So when Jesus says controversial things, he makes sure that he uses parables. He makes sure that he, he tells it in different, from different angles so that we're always very, very clear on what he wants for us. But just because it's clear, just because we get it, just because we understand it, doesn't mean we can actually do it. The things Jesus taught aren't hard to understand. They're hard to do. And so Jesus, as we're finishing up this series, I wanna, I wanna focus in on three words that Jesus says that are not hard to understand. He is very clear with what he says, but they are sometimes very, very hard to do. Jesus says these three words, love your enemies. Boo. <laughs> I wish he would say, tolerate your enemies. That'd be really nice. We're tolerant of them. No, he says, love them. What in the world does that mean? And so let's get into what Jesus means when he's being very clear about what he is asking for his disciples to do. In order to do that, we have to look at this in context. We have to look at the scripture itself. We have to look at who Jesus is saying this to and the issues that he is confronting. So this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. You may have heard that before. This is Jesus's biggest and most widely known, the best sermon of all time. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets into people's business. I mean, he gets down into their business. And in those moments, people have to determine whether or not they're gonna keep listening to this guy or walk away. And unfortunately, many people decide that they'd rather not. You see, Jesus is great when he's healing people. Jesus is great when he's feeding people. But when he starts teaching, they're like, that's good, that's good, that's good. Wait, what was that? Love the enemy's part, and I'm done. We're gonna go find another church, because I don't like this one. Heard a pastor say this past week, he said, I'm convinced if Jesus started a church in my town, my church would always be bigger than Jesus's. I'm like, that's incredibly arrogant of you to say. And then I thought about it and I realized he's exactly right. He's exactly right. Because we don't like to offend people. We don't like to say things that would push people away. But Jesus did it all the time. Jesus speaks to large crowds 
and calls them to commitment. He calls them deeper than what they're just comfortable with. He calls them to become more than crowd. He calls them to become family. And he's never ambiguous about the price tag. And when he gets clear, crowds get smaller. As a matter of fact, you might want to write that down. Crowds get smaller when Jesus gets clear because he starts stepping on them toes. Jesus is a horrible dance partner because he will step on your toes, boo-boo. He will tell you things that you don't want to hear and it confronts you. But here's the good news about it. It's the most loving thing that he can do. He, he is the epitome of love. Clarity, we say around here, clarity is kindness. The kindest thing Jesus can do to you through his word is to be clear with what he's asking. When he says, love your enemies, we need to get clear on that. What does that mean? So this is the Jewish people that Jesus is speaking to. This is a large crowd and he's calling them to come from just the crowd to become disciples, to go deeper with him. Many of them don't, but they have a decision to make. And unfortunately, you can't live without the consequences of that decision. We can stay in the crowd, enjoy the free gifts that Jesus gives, or we can go deeper, but the choice is ours. So in Matthew 5, Jesus says this in verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Some of us are like, let's just underline those three words, hate your enemy. That's scripture. I can do it. <laughs> you know, if you don't look at it in context, it's easy to do that. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But Jesus says this, but I tell you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. Boo, don't like it. He says, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, I love your word. I love how your word speaks to us today. It's not just a collection of stories and thoughts. But Father, it's your word. Your word is alive and active. And Father, we love your word. Father, it's a lamp into our feet. It's, it's a light to our path, Lord. We've hidden your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. Father, we believe in the authority of your word. So Lord, our hearts are open, our minds are alert. We are attentive to what it is that you're saying. Would you speak to us in Jesus' name? And everybody said together, amen, amen, amen. So I love that Jesus is having, in, 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 th in this moment with this crowd, he's having a DTR moment. If you don't know what DTR is, hang around with us for a little bit. It's, uh, it's, it's, it means define the relationship. Let's define the relationship a little bit. Let's talk about what I'm requiring of you. And so in every relationship, you can't leave it ambiguous. You can't leave it unclear. At some point, you're gonna have to have those moments where you get real, right? Husbands and wives, at some point after the honeymoon is over, you're gonna have to have a DTR. Like, okay, this is mine. This is yours. This is ours. This, we're gonna hire people out to do it, right? <laughs> Otherwise, you're gonna have a lot of, a, a lot of arguments, one of the greatest things that we ever did was walk through premarital counseling because we came up with a list of practical things that we assigned to each other. Does the husband do this? Does the wife do this? Do we both do this? Do neither of us do this? And we hire somebody to do it. Let's decide now. And it keeps us from the next 10 years of arguments. Some of you, that is worth the price of admission right there. But we determined from the very beginning, who disciplines our children? Is that my job? Is it your job? Is it both of our job? Are we hiring somebody to do that? 
but let's, let's make a decision. And let me just tell you, the money that I get, I hire people to do that. Bring it. Just kidding. One of the things that we had to have a, um, a DTR moment at the, at the end of our honeymoon, uh, my wife and I, we, were, we both got married in, in our 30s. I had uh, come out of a failed relationship and that was, that was very difficult for me because now I'm older and I have a list of things that I don't like. And for those of you that have, it's true, for those of you that have, had, have multiple marriages, you're broken. And there are things that you've gotta work through. You've gotta get honest about yourself. You gotta get real. We gotta have some DTR moments. Like, I am not well, I am not whole. Um, there are things that I'm gonna have to work on. There are things that you're gonna have to work on. This will not be easy. There's a reason why people, uh, there's a reason why marriages fail and second marriages fail even worse and third and fourth and some of you in fifth and sixth. You're gonna go for a baker's dozen. <laughs> it's not a competition. But if you can have a DTR moment, if you can have a define the relationship moment, it saves us from arguments later on down the line when we get very clear about who we are, what we're doing, who's responsible for what. And there was a lot of, uh, a lot of things that were unclear about that. And so in, after our honeymoon was over, and I'll just pull back the curtain on, on our marriage for just a few moments, uh, my wife comes home and she had gone on a shopping trip and she came home with all these bags and she is so super excited. She wants to show me all the wonderful, amazing things that she's bought. I do not have that same reaction. All I'm thinking about is price tag. Like, where did we get this money? You know, I'm a pastor. We take a vow of poverty. <laughs> and she says, oh, this was great. This was 70% off. This was 60% off. And then I got this. Don't you love this? Don't you love that? Everything that she pulled out, I'm like, I'm adding it up in my mind. Mm. Mm. Ah. And I realized we need to have a DTR moment. I'm gonna try to be very loving and very kind, but I'm really full of anxiety now because if this is gonna be the rest of our life, I'm gonna make a lot more money. I have chosen the wrong job. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is not good. And I said, uh, can I just interrupt you for a second? And she said, sure. I said, where'd you get all this money from? And she said, well, I figured now that we're married, we have double the income. We, ha we have what? <laughs> so we, we've also got two kids. Now we have a mortgage. And now we have two car payments. I mean, there's things that we... It's like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. I just figured that since I've been single my whole life, I couldn't afford these things. Now that I'm married a pastor, we can buy things now. I'm like, ah! How, how many things have the receipts? <laughs> Why don't you pick out one thing that you really like? Because the rest of this stuff, we can't afford it. But we, if we're not clear about those things, we're gonna end up having arguments later on. Like, we, we gotta figure out what's, what's the right thing to do here. Because if you're not clear... You're not kind. And the things that Jesus is asking of his disciples, he gets very clear with how we are supposed to treat people. He says, love your enemies. I wanna be very clear today that there is a big difference between an enemy and an evil person. Just because they're against you, just because you don't get along, just because things are not uh, copacetic between you, copacetic, that's a weird word, that doesn't make them an evil person, but there are very real evil people in this world. If you're in an evil, uh, if you're in an evil uh, person relationship, if you're, if you're in, a, in an abusive relationship, if there are people looking to kill you, um, if you've never read the book uh, Necessary, Endings from Necessary Endings from Henry Cloud, you probably need to read that because it tells you that basically there are three types of people in the world. There are wise people, foolish people, and evil people. 
Now you can have a disagreement with a wise person and say, hey, look, you're, you've, you've got wisdom, I've got wisdom here, surely we can find a way to work this out and you can make a common sense strategy to build this relationship, to repair it. Sometimes there are foolish people, how do we deal with those? Well, we give them stuff like deadlines, ultimatums, like, no, you've, you've violated this before. This, I've got to set some boundaries here because you're making foolish decisions. These things affect people. We want you to be wise, but you're making foolish decisions. But then there's that third category of people that are evil. They want to kill you. That's not being foolish. It's being evil. He says the only way that you deal with an evil person is not to hope for reconciliation. You deal with them with lawyers, guns, and money. <laughs> Get a gun, hire a lawyer, File restraining orders, get away, get away, get away, get away, because this is an evil person. Not just foolish, it's evil. Jesus is not talking about evil people. As a matter of fact, he redefines what we think is an evil person. But he's talking about an enemy. And in this context, he's talking about us versus them. And that them may be completely different to you than it is to me. But Jesus is very clear that this is not talking about a person that's evil. He's talking about us versus them. And so there are attitudes that we have that pop up in our heart when we hear Jesus say things that get very, very clear, but that step on our toes. And so I wanna just kind of combat those um, theologically today so that we can have a better understanding of what Christ is asking us to do as he gets really, really clear. Here's the first thing as we talk about getting real about loving our enemies. And this is, this is number one. Uh, we love to hear sermons with others in mind. <laughs> it's okay to giggle because this is true. Uh, we love to hear sermons with other people in mind. Like, man, if they were only here, this would be the greatest. And I hear this constantly. And I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying it's natural for us to say, man, pastor, you preached so good today. I wish my son was here to hear that. But he wasn't. We love to hear sermons with other people in mind. I wish my other pastor was here to, here to hear you say that. I'm like, Wish my brother was here. My wife would have loved this sermon. She could have used it. Man, it would have changed everything if she would have just heard this sermon. We love to hear sermons with other people in mind. And this is the exact same context that we find Jesus preaching in because he's preaching to a group of people that want a Messiah to deal with the Romans. They want a Messiah that overthrows the government. They want a Messiah that is a military leader. And so they listen to sermons with what are you saying about them? But Jesus isn't dealing with them. He's dealing with us. The first thing that you'll learn in counseling, especially if you go by yourself, marital counseling or premarital counseling, is we don't talk about the other person. We don't talk about the one that's not there. We talk about you. You see, if we just talk about them, that's called gossip. That's kind of a big deal. <laughs> but we talk about the one that's there, the one that wants to change, the one that's here, not about them. So Jesus is dealing with them and their hearts about the way that they treat their them. Them, them, them. He said, no, I'm, I'm talking about you. Let's talk about you. I, I say it this way. We love to project Jesus' commands on others and excuse the violations in ourselves. Maybe that's just me. But we love for people to get their toes stepped on but we want grace when God steps on ours. Lord, you're just gonna have to forgive me. I'm gonna step out of the kingdom for a little bit. I gotta go cut a fool. <laughs> you're gonna have to forgive me on Sunday because today, they're getting on my nerves. 
We love, love to project Jesus and his commands on somebody else, but we excuse our own violations. And it's a common issue that Jesus is dealing with because it's a human issue. But as a matter of fact, I want you to, I want you to see uh, that we, we don't need to project this where it doesn't belong because that's a slippery slope. When you start projecting the things that Jesus says onto things where it doesn't really apply, you get into trouble. See, when Jesus says stuff like turn the other cheek, you don't want that applied to government. You don't want police officers turning the other cheek to somebody with a gun. Hello? <laughs> right? Well, the Lord says turn the other cheek. So, I mean, if he's gonna rob a bank, I'm like, well, if you're gonna shoot me here, might as well shoot me here. Like, that, that makes no sense. Like, don't project that where it doesn't belong. When Jesus says stuff like, I, I'm, you, you've heard it said, uh, don't commit adultery, but I say, don't even look at someone with lust in your heart. When he says stuff like that, you don't want that to become law. You don't want us to criminalize a thought. So it's easy for us when we see the things that Jesus says to say, yeah, yeah, give it to them. Talk about them. No, 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 this applies to you. He's saying, you've heard this said, but I say, love. Love your enemies. Here's the second thing that we see in, in God's word. If Jesus didn't do it, he can't expect me to. It, and here's the thing, he did do it. He loved till it hurt. And this is why people don't like it because they're underneath Roman rule. They're being persecuted. They're people and attitudes that they're having to deal with. And Jesus doesn't give a lot of, doesn't give, doesn't give a lot of room for us to be unclear. He says, I want you to love them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to bless them. Mm, no thanks. I want you to smite them, Jesus. I want a return of spontaneous human combustion. Yes. You're like James and John. Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? Because we will right now. I will barbecue them bad boys. Like seriously? That's what, because this is where our hearts go. Jesus says, I want you to love them. I want you to love them like I love them. Ouch. Jesus says, follow my lead. I want to make, make sure that we're, we're very clear. It's not dealing with someone that's evil. God is not asking you to be a punching bag and to stay in an, an abusive relationship. He's talking about us versus them. He's talking about people groups. And this applies to us a lot today because there are who you think us is and who you think them are. I don't even know if that's correct English, but it makes sense to me. <laughs> who are us and them are, I don't know. But this is who Jesus is dealing with, how you treat them. And if, if you'll notice, the, the enemy of the Jewish people would be the Romans, the government. But you don't see a lot of scripture with Jesus dealing with the Romans, do you? As a matter of fact, you see Jesus avoiding them a lot. Until they put him on a cross, Jesus doesn't have much interaction at all with the Roman government. He's dealing with the Jews and how they treat the Romans. Do you see this? And we can draw some parallels in our lives. Sometimes the best thing that you can do with an enemy is to not be there. Don't put yourself in that situation. One of the, uh, the movies that kind of defined uh, my life, we weren't allowed to watch a lot of television 
uh, when I was growing up. So when I finally got to see some movies, it was just like, I just absorbed it. Like I, I memorized every line. I could just replay it in my mind because it was so crazy not growing up without a television. And some of you that were raised a little too saved know exactly what I'm talking about. TV was the devil. And maybe for you, I'm stepping on toes because it still is. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we got to see the Karate Kid one time. And the original one, not the new one, the original one. And, uh, and I just absorbed every bit of it. Like, this is the greatest story of all time. Great. Needs to win every Academy Award. Because I hadn't seen anything else. But it was great to me. It was great to me. And I remember this, the climax of the movie is where uh, Daniel, this young nerd that's been beaten and bullied and picked on, is finally getting some lessons from Mr. Miyagi, the sensei, about karate. And he comes to this place where he doesn't understand the training. And so he's, he's exploding at Mr. Miyagi. You've not taught me how to punch. You've not taught me how to kick. All I'm doing is washing your cars for you and, and painting your fence and sanding the floor and all this stuff. And Mr. Miyagi tells him when he was responding, when he's, when he's saying, you've not taught me how to do this. He says an iconic line. I'll never forget it. He says, the best defense, no be there. I'm teaching you how to move. <laughs> Don't be there. And I love that Jesus has three years to change the world and avoids a lot of the Roman government. The people want him to overthrow them. He works around them. And I love that when Jesus says, you're to love them, he doesn't really address how we feel. He addresses what we choose. Because see, the word that he uses for love is the agape love. That's a selfless, sacrificial love that has nothing to do with your heart. It's a choice that you make. That you're gonna do the right thing whether you feel like it or not. This is different than how you might view the word love. But agape is the highest of the four kinds of love that the Bible talks about and it's the selfless sacrificial love where I love because it's the right thing to do. This is why in 1 John later on, John says, we love because he first loved us. There was a point in our life where we were enemies against God and he loved us when we were still his enemy. So we choose to love in return. We respond by loving those that are at odds with us. We love because he first loved us. This means that I can, I can feel bad and do good. I can feel anxiety and still bless. I don't have to like it to love them. That's good news for somebody today. God's not telling you something that uh, he's not showing you how to do it. As a matter of fact, here's the third thing that I feel like is important as we dig into this scripture is that Jesus always goes a step farther than what we're comfortable with. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. You know this to be true. The closer you get to God, the more you realize like he has stepped on my toes a lot and there's what I'm comfortable with and then there's what he asked me to do. And so six times in the parable or in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. When he says, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I say, here's the one step farther than what you're comfortable with, don't even hate. <laughs> Lord, you're lucky I didn't kill him. He says, no, let's deal with your heart. It goes from an outside motivation to the inner heart. And that's not what we're comfortable with. We want Jesus to just fix the decision, fix, fix this relationship and make a decision and make, make something happen to them. He's like, no, I'm, I'm gonna deal with your heart. When he says stuff like, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say, don't even look at someone with lust in your heart. Mm. One step farther than what you're comfortable with. So when he says, you've heard it said, 
Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. He's taking us one step farther than what we're comfortable with to show us what we really need. And by the way, it reveals that our deepest need is not peace, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. The deepest need that you have in an estranged relationship, the deepest need that you have for someone that is far away from you, someone that is warring with you, the deepest need is not for there to be peace there. It's Jesus in the situation. This is why Paul says to the Ephesians, says, for he himself, Jesus, he is our peace. He's the living embodiment of peace. That's what you want there. You want Jesus in the middle of this relationship. Because Jesus reveals that our deepest need is not just peace, but it's, it's him. We want him in this situation. I found that what he's asking us to do six times in the Sermon on the Mount is impossible without him. It's impossible. Lord, you want me to love my enemies? Not possible unless you help me. You want me to not be controlled by lust? That is not possible unless you help me. You want me to not hate somebody? That's not possible unless you help me. But you've got to change my heart because I don't feel like it. I don't think I can. I need you. Here's another thing that we see, number four, is that neighbors and enemies have been conveniently redefined. Conveniently redefined. Who I can love and who I can hate, and they're using the Bible to justify it. I can hate because fill in the blank, which we still do this today. I can hate because they vote different than me. I can hate because they have green hair. I can hate because they supported something else. I can hate because I don't like their skin color. We will conveniently redefine who our neighbor is and who our enemy is and use scripture to justify it if we want to. This is exactly what the people had done. This is why Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And I wanna ask you a question. Where in the Bible does it say hate your enemy? It doesn't. It doesn't. That doesn't exist. So what Jesus is combating here is false theology that had crept in because of culture and made it really convenient to hate them. That's why Jesus is saying, but I say, love them. Bless them. Pray for them. This moves beyond what we're comfortable with to what we need. You see, only people like us can use loving your neighbor as a license to hate. But I found this to be true, that mankind has been using scripture to justify hating people groups forever. It's an age-old problem that still existed in Jesus' day and we're still finding it true today. Oh, you may not say it in the same way and it may have a different name on it, but it's still hate. That's still not what we've been commanded to do. It might not be called Gentile anymore. It might not be called Samaritan anymore. It might not be called Roman anymore, but it has a name. It may be different from you than it is to me, 
but it, there's a them. And we've used scripture as a license to hate because they do this. And it makes it really convenient to redefine who our neighbor is and who our enemy is. This is why it's so great when, when someone asks Jesus, well, who is our neighbor? And he goes to a people group that they hated. He said, that's your neighbor. <laughs> Don't like that. Don't like that at all. Isn't that amazing what Jesus does? He doesn't take it as an individual thing. Not, not an actual enemy person. It's a whole group of people. And they had taken scripture and used it as a license to hate, which we still do today. They had taken the Old Testament and said, well, because God hated these other people that were Gentiles, we can hate them as well. See, God had, had used the people of Israel, had led them into the promised land, led them into Canaan, and he says, I want you to destroy all these other people. And they've taken that and said, yes, we're the chosen ones. Everyone else deserves to die. God, kill them all, right? Kill them all, let God sort them out. Because they're not us. They're not the chosen ones. See, the difference is, in the Old Testament, God was leading his people into the promised land and was having them eradicate anything that was a threat to his redemptive purpose. This is incredibly important for us to get this at the center of who we are. God hates things that are a threat to his redemptive purpose. So Paul says, we don't battle against flesh and blood. A person is not your enemy. We, we do war against things that are principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this present world. You see, God hates things that are a threat to his redemptive purpose in you. God hates your sin. God hates lies. God hates deceit. God hates things that try to talk you out of who he is. You see, in the Old Testament, God had them wipe out people that were a threat to his redemptive purpose. God was gonna deliver the world through the Israelite people. And anything that threatened them had to be removed because they would force God's people to worship other gods. They would force God's people to intermarry and take on their customs and take on their culture, which is where we find the American version of the church today. We conveniently redefine who we can love and what we can hate. We've taken it and applied it to massive groups of people and excused the violations of it in ourselves. Do you see this? What does God hate? It's not people groups. It's sin. And it's time that you started hating your own sin first. When we redefine how we love and what we hate, we remove God's power. We take God out of the equation. Only God gets to define what love is and how we're supposed to love. Only God gets to decide what you can hate. And it needs to start lining up with who he is and not what you've conveniently redefined it as. Here's what I love. Number five, Jesus locks love and words together. And it's very, very important that we see when Jesus says love, what does that look like? And he uses two Greek words there when he talks about love in a practical way. He uses the word blessing and prayer. I want you to bless them and pray for them. 
The Greek word here is eulogia, which is what we get our, get our word a eulogy from. When you're at a funeral, you, you say well words about someone. This is not the time to bring up all the junk in the past and the things you didn't like about the person that just croaked. It's not that time, boo-boo. Like, well, he got what was coming to him. <laughs> that old cuss. This is not the time. Like, you, you say nice things about a person that passed on. You, you try to find something, you know? Well, y'all, he was a good golfer. That's all I got. But give what you got. Like, it's a well worth. So he uses the word eulogia. He said, I want you to bless them. Speaking of your words, your words. Bless them with your words. You don't talk bad about them. You say nice things about them. Otherwise, it becomes gossip and you're defiled. How do I love them, Jesus? Speak well of them. And then he says, I want you to pray for them. He uses the word persuke when he talks about prayer. And this is really, really important because we don't understand what he's asking us to do when we say pray for him. Prosuke is a compound word. Pros meaning to get close to, to be intimate with, to be face to face. And suke, the other part of that, means to give a wish or a desire or to make a vow. So when he's saying, I want you to pray, he says, I want you to get face to face intimate with God and then give him your wish list. You see, we've conveniently redefined prayer as give God my wish list. And we've forgotten about the intimacy that comes from his presence. You see, true prayer is getting face-to-face, intimate, close with God. Not just saying, well, God, here's my list. That's, that's not God. That's Santa Claus, boo-boo. That's Santa Claus. <laughs> You've got your deities kind of mixed up. One is real and one ain't. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Says you want to bring the power of God into your relationship that has strife, Pray for them. You get close to God because when you get close to God, he changes your heart. Your heart. What does love my enemies look like, Lord? He says, bless them with your words. Don't you talk bad about them. Don't you do it. And then I want you to pray for them. Get close to God. Get really close. Get intimate. Get face to face with God. And then give him what you want. I'm preaching better than your amen in today. This is, this is good. Online likes it. Type it in the comments if it's good, because I bet you there's more people that like it online than here. They're just like, hmm, yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I like the Santa Claus part. That's better. (laughs) So you're like, is he the real pastor here? No, that guy comes next week. Pray for them. Bless them, Jesus says. And he locks love and words together. You see, loving, as Jesus describes loving, that's, that's not passive. This is the highest form of warfare that you can bring, spiritual warfare, where you invite the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the captain of the hosts of the armies of the Lord into this situation. That's warfare. That's not being passive. It's fighting on a higher plane. Do you see this? Prayer is practical love. So the apostle Paul, when he's dealing with this, with the Romans again, because by the way, Jesus preached it, but does, does that mean everybody did it? No. Same is true today. You can hear this. You can read God's word. But this week, when somebody becomes your enemy and you get a chance to talk bad about them, open the floodgates. I've got a list of things and we can do this chronological, alphabetical. We can do it any way you want. I've got a whole list of reasons why I don't like them and how I came to this particular stance. You see, there's what Jesus says and there's actually doing it. And this week, you'll probably have a chance to actually do it. It's the way God works. So Paul says it this way. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. 
He says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. I love how he gives us that, if it's possible. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you're dealing with an evil person, lawyers, guns, and money. (laughs) But if it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, you keep your heart right in this situation. You're responsible for you. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. I love how it just says him. Because women, we can talk about it and come to a common ground. But men, he says, no, you got to feed him. That's free. That's not even in my notes. He says, give him something to drink. I wonder what that Greek word is for there. Is that alcoholic or not? Are we Baptist? Are we? But he says, in doing this, you will heap coals of fire on their head. And for some of us that like that last part, you're like, yes, this is the way we finally get to burn them alive. Thank you, Lord. I take your scripture to be literal. That will be done. I want you to notice when he says heaping coals of fire upon someone, he calls it a good thing. He says you overcome evil with good. And coals of fire is symbolic of conviction where you invite the power of God to start convicting them of their sin because you've kept your heart right. As a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, the Bible says Isaiah was spending time in the presence of God. He goes in this vision and in this moment, he sees God in this unapproachable light. He sees the angels around the throne and they're covering up their faces because God is so blinding and so powerful. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in that moment, Isaiah says, woe unto me. I don't belong here. This is insane. This is so powerful. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I'm full of iniquity. I'm full of sin. The presence of God reveals What's wrong inside of each of us? He says, woe to me. And in that moment, an angel comes and uses the tongs and takes a live coal out and he touches it to the lips of Isaiah. And he says, I've purified you. I've purged the sin and the iniquity from among you. And so when Paul says, you wanna heap coals of fire on their head, he's saying that the point of Jesus coming in to a strained relationship is not to just bring peace and not to make enemies friends, but to get them saved. So when Jesus is hanging on a cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And in that moment, the first Roman convert, a soldier, says, surely that was the son of God. A thief hanging next to him says, remember me when you come into your kingdom because loving your enemies is a powerful witness when you can forgive those that don't know what they're doing. When Stephen is being stoned to death, he says, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lay not this sin to their charge. And there's a young man that's standing there holding the cloak of Stephen as they're stoning him to death for doing nothing but preaching the gospel. That man later writes one third of the New Testament. So how do I destroy my enemies, God? 
only leave you with this point. We destroy our enemies by making them family. I'm gonna say that louder for the people in the back. We destroy enemies by making them family. Family. Now we're family. Blood is thicker than water. Now you gotta do it. Now we're in this together. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, want to make sure that you don't project that onto somebody else, that you don't think about that as just a person, but you think about this in the context of what God has done for you. Because the Bible is very clear that at one time, all of us were enemies of God. And we were a threat to his redemptive purpose because of the sin in our lives God himself had to pour out all of his wrath, all of his hatred upon his son so that you would have a chance to love him in return. God's greatest hope for you is that you would come into a loving relationship with him, that you'd be saved, healed, delivered. So don't project this onto somebody else. Take it and realize that at one time I was the enemy of God but he loved me so much that today I'm in church. You know, you may be here today just because you want to be nice to your mom. You may be here as a, as a favor, like this, you're one time, me mom, I'm gonna come one time to church. But I believe God has you here for a reason. There's a reason why you're here. And it's more than just to be nice to her. It's because God's, God cares about you. There's a plan for your life. And he wants to reveal that to you. It's a good thing. He loves you so much that he's willing to send his one and only son to die on a cross for you. That is crazy love. Crazy love, radical love. So when Jesus says you can love your enemies, he means it. He means it. Would you take a moment, bow your head. We're gonna finish out today with a word of prayer. And I just feel led by the Holy Spirit to pray specifically for those of you who, uh, when I say you're, you're to, to love your enemies, to pray for your enemies, you're, you have a person that comes to mind. I also sense it really strongly from the Holy Spirit today that for some of us in this room, your enemy has been your mother. You've got some deep mother wounds. And I sense that really strongly from the Holy Spirit right now. It is, it is really powerful. Sometimes the most horrible things that can happen to us in our lives are wounds that were given by our parents, horrible examples that were set. And on a day like today, it's hard to come face to face with that emotion. It's hard to hear things like loving your enemies and your enemy is a parent. When your enemy is someone close. When your enemy is someone that was supposed to love you. It's hard. But I want to encourage you in this moment that Jesus himself, he sees you and he wants to heal that today. It's a matter of us inviting the power and the presence of God 
into our situation. Lord, let healing start with me. If there's a person that pops into your mind as you're listening to this today, would you do me a favor? No one is looking at you. You're not looking at anybody else. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. This is your moment with your father. Would you just put your hand upon your own heart and say, Lord, let healing begin in me. I need to hear the words, I'm sorry, and they may never come. So Lord, I need you to heal my heart. Help me. I want to keep my heart right. I don't want to spend my entire life dealing with the wounds that somebody else gave me that you're willing to heal me from. So I invite you in. Let change start in me. Heal my heart. In Jesus' name. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never had a moment where you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to be the Lord of your life, this is that moment. It's the most important thing that you can do in your entire life to invite him in to pay for your sins your mistakes, your failures. He's willing to do that, but you've got to ask him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, and for those of you that are watching online, if there's not a moment that comes to your mind where you know for sure that you've ever done that, then let this be that moment. I want to lead you in a prayer like somebody led me in one time. It changed my life. And I'd be so honored if you'd let me do that for you. Right where you are, Say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud or in your heart. It doesn't matter, but, but pray this prayer with me. Pray it. It goes like this. Just say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that you came, died, rose from the grave so I could have life and forgiveness for all of my sins. I invite you to come into my heart, be the Lord of my life. I give myself to you right now. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that was you, my friend, and you prayed that prayer, I'm so incredibly proud of you. As a matter of fact, I'd love to connect with you. The easiest way for you to do that, if you're willing to connect, if you're willing to take the next step, is to text me. The number is 94090. Text the words, I prayed. I-P-R-A-Y-E-D. I prayed. It encourages me every week when someone texts me and says that was me. We love you. We want to help you to take the next step. That's a big one. This is not the end of your relationship with God. It's the beginning. Let us help you. Good for you. I'm proud of you. Well, High Ridge family, would you guys go ahead and look up at me, then stand to your feet. It's been an honor to be with you here today. I want to take a moment, and before you're going, I want to invite our elders and their wives up front to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, we would love to pray for you. If you need help, if you're in a strained relationship, please, we would love to pray for you. Moms, we have bath bombs as our gift for you today because we believe that mom's the bomb. If it rhymes, it must be true. The theologian Johnny Cochran taught us that. <laughs> also, gentlemen, we have Beast Feast that is coming up. Every single man in this room, you need to get a ticket to Beast Feast. It's going to be epic, epic. So we should have that coming on the screen right behind me at some point. Look at that. It's like Jesus knew I needed it right there in that moment. 
May the 26th, that's coming up really, really quickly. Make sure, men, get your friends here. You're going to want to see what happens at Beast Feast. It's gonna be great. Please be a part of that. Our, uh, the instructions are on our website. We would love to have you here. For everyone else, let me bless you and send you out. Father, I pray that you would bless my friends with an incredible week following after you, loving the way that you loved, walking in your goodness and underneath the authority of your word. Would you bless them in Jesus' name? And everyone said together, amen. Happy Mother's Day. God bless you as you go.